who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. Each Monday, I bring you a brand new full-length episode covering something from a wide variety of topics. And then every Friday, come meet up with me again for a mini What's in the News episode so you can stay up to date on everything that's going on in the world. Check out Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And rage on. Realm presents Bullet Catcher. Season 3, Episode 11. The Hermit. We ride south from Half Moon, along the path tracing the outline of the continent. On one side, a forest of trees, and on the other, that deep gray plain of water, as far as the eye can see. The wagon is full and we move slowly because of the winding road and the weight of so many passengers. Cass rides alongside, keeping a lookout for gunslingers, while the man in the cassock pilots the horses along the curving road. Who is he, anyway? Who? asks Lena, gazing distractedly at the ocean below. Our friend in the cassock. I don't know if I've heard him speak word once since Jalapa. He's taken a vow of silence. Though, to be honest, he's pretty lousy at it. She laughs to herself. He's a priest in the church, raised by gunslingers, which is why he's such a good shot, but didn't care for it much. Found himself on his own at a young age. When he showed up in Jalapa, he was in rough shape. He started coming to my sermons, and the rest is history. Decided to take holy orders because he spent so much time in the church anyway. Made up his mind to stop talking because he couldn't stop cussing. What's his name? He never told me. And I didn't impress him. Figured he had his reasons for not bandying it about. To be honest, he makes about as good a priest as he does a conversationalist. I just call him you. She laughs again. Despite that, he's become a good friend. And someone you want on your side when trouble finds you. The wagon trundles on. The creature sits in my arms and presses its face to the window, laughing at the gulls floating on the updraft coming off the water. 
Your child seems to love the water, Daniel says. His voice is slow, metered like that of a man who hasn't spoken in a long time and is only now trying to get the hang of it. Aren't we all fascinated by what we don't have? But the water out there isn't like the water in our bellies. The ocean is a storm, always raging, and all the creatures living therein exist in the maelstrom, blown about on currents far out of their control. Doesn't sound too different from the Southland. The hot wind blowing, the relentless sun, the dust devils. In every town and city I've been, people blow in and blow out, and it's not even like they have any say about it. Daniel nods. Perhaps you're right. So, what do you do then, living life in the storm? Do you sway with the wind, or put your head down and charge in? Maybe there's no right way to go about it. Maybe we're all just trying to get by the best we can. But if the storm ended, what then? We could stop asking ourselves how to live and finally get down to actually living, unmolested, unfettered, free. I don't even know what that would look like. From what Cass has told me, Watertown is a place like that. Maybe it could be. One day, I say. Maybe. That's more hope than I've had since the war. And right now, Watertown is at the eye of the storm, Nico says. All it'll take is a shift in the wind, and the whole thing will come down. Unless we stop it, says Lena. The cabin falls silent. The creature slaps its hand on the glass, trying to get at the gulls in the distance. Daniel smiles at the child. But how exactly do you hold back the wind? I ask the question of myself as much as everyone else. But no one says anything. And we all just go on watching the water, as though the answer were out there, somewhere. Cass raps on the window, drawing us from our collective stupor. Nearly there. Get ready. We stash the wagon in a copse of wood on the edge of an open meadow. At the far end of the meadow, past the lawn of straw-colored grass, dotted with orange and violet flowers, stands an outcropping of rock that juts up from the ground like a jagged fortress. Past the natural stone stairs, stepping up from the tall grass, a series of boulders form a natural wall protecting a darkened den higher up in the outcropping. Behind the rock is the cliff, and beyond that, the ocean. What is this place? This is Ricky's place. After the war, some of us tried to hide who we were and make a go of it in towns and cities, Daniel says. Cass picks up the thread. Others, like myself and Lobo and Ricky, couldn't bear the thought of being around people. Not after what we'd seen in the war, so we tried to make it by ourselves in the wild. Eventually, Lobo and I drifted back to civilization. Ricky, as far as any of us know, never did. We should approach carefully, Lena says. They were always a bit on edge, and who knows how living as long as they have in solitude has worsened that. We'll approach through the field, in plain sight. Keep your hands visible. Together, we step out of the wood and into the open. The wind blows over the grass like a wave. A shiver runs up my spine. I can't shake the feeling that we're being watched. 
The only sounds are the wind blowing through the grass, the sound of waves crashing on the rocks beyond the stubby peninsula housing the den of boulders on the far side of the meadow. We're halfway across, when Cass raises her hand sharply. We freeze. A cricket chirps. The wind blows. You made a mistake coming here. The voice seems to blow across the meadow on the wind, flattening the grass, freezing the blood in my veins. Ricky, Cass says. It's us. It's your friends come to see you. Ricky, the voice calls. There's no Ricky here. Another breeze blows through the meadow, making curly cues and spirals in the grass. It seems to circle us, moving closer, then retreating. It's only when it's nearly too late that I realize what it is. They're in the tall grass, I call to the others, just as a small gaunt figure leaps from the grass and tackles Nico to the ground. They disappear beneath the crest of the grass. Quickly, we converge on the spot where they went down, but when we get there, only moments later, Nico and the mysterious figure are gone. There is only the flattened patch of grass left to show there had been anyone there at all. Shit, you utters under his breath. I cut my hands to my mouth. Nico! But my voice is muted by the wind that's picked up again, making arabesques in the grass. He's gone, child comes a voice again. The creature begins to wail. Was he important to you? Show yourself, coward! I scream. The voice laughs. A haunted witch-like cackle. Emma! Cash shouts. Control yourself! It's the last thing she says before an unseen force seems to pull her, feet first, into the tall grass. This time there isn't even the sound of a scuffle, and when we arrive on the spot where she'd been standing... She's gone. This is fucked, Yu says, this time not even trying to quiet his voice. Make for the rocks, Lena says. She doesn't have to say it again. We sprint for the edge of the meadow for the rocks that promise a sort of safety. I'm in the rear, slower than the others because of the creature. Lena is in the lead, followed by Daniel and Yu. I watch in horror as the shape of the grass changes, forming a line that serpentines behind Yu, closing the space between it and him in moments. And when the two meet, it looks only like he trips and falls, then disappears completely. He's gone! I yell to Lena. She dares a look over her shoulder. Keep go- Before her, the figure leaps from the grass and clotheslines her. She tumbles backward and is gone. Only Daniel and I make it to the rocks. This is impossible, I say, panting. Nothing is lost yet. Ricky would not have killed them. How do you know? It's not in their nature. You fought a war with them. They must have killed people in the war. No, killing is the easy part of war. It's easy because it's expected, but Ricky chose a harder path. They would subdue, restrain, disarm, but they would never kill. Suddenly, Daniel's eyes go big. Slowly, he raises his hands, staring straight ahead, not uttering another word. A lot has changed since the war, old-timer, comes a voice from behind Daniel. I dare to peek around him, and there's the figure. In one hand is a wad of Daniel's shirt, holding him still, and in the other is a wicked-looking dagger, the sharp end threatening the space between Daniel's shoulder blades. Don't hurt him, I tell them. Oh, 
And who are you to stop me? I'm Immaculata Moreno. I'm a bullet catcher, and I've stopped worse people than you. Oh, I have no doubt about that. They step on the back of Daniel's leg, dropping him to a knee, then twist first his left arm and then his right behind his back, before binding his wrists and ankles. It takes all of a few seconds. And then they turn their attention back to me. They toss the dagger from one hand to the other, and then back again. Turn the blade to catch the sun, shining the light directly into my eyes. Startled, I stumble back, trip over a stone, and nearly fall, but something catches me. When my vision returns, there's Ricky, grabbing me by the front of my shirt. The tip of the blade tickles my throat. Tell me, bullet catcher, how do you expect to kill me if I don't have a gun to shoot you with? The creature looks up at Ricky and laughs. Ricky looks down at the creature and their face changes, shifting in a moment from crazed to astonished. Do you plan on using your baby to kill me? That would be inventive. I'm not here to kill you at all. We're here because we need your help. There's no helping you. Whatever it is you hoped to accomplish by coming here has failed. Your friends are dead. You and that useless old man are all that's left. The others... I used their blood like water for the meadow. You lie. Daniel struggles on the ground to face us. It's with words that they will try to subdue you, Emma. Stay strong. Ricky smiles. I grab their wrist in both my hands and pull down, drawing the tip of the knife away from my throat. They break free easily and swipe at me with the blade, drawing a line of blood across my shoulder. The wound is shallow, a warning that they could have done much worse if they'd chosen to. Ricky dances away, drawing space between them and me. So my words haven't worked. What's my next plan of attack, old man? Daniel rolls over and sits up, his wrists and ankles still bound. You will try to disarm her. But she has no weapons, unless you count the baby. You come anywhere near my child and I'll tear you limb from limb. If she's disarmed already... Then you will attempt to render her unconscious. Or I could just kill her. Ricky kicks at the ground with her moccasin-clad foot, sending a small stone like a missile directly at me. I have just enough time to angle my body away from it, waving at it as though it were a bullet, and catching it in the palms of my cupped hands. Good, Ricky exclaims. But how about this? They flip the blade over in their hand, pinching the blade between their thumb and index finger, before drawing it back and flinging it at my chest, at the creature. I dodge out of the way with a clumsy spin, shielding the creature in my arms before jamming my shoulder against the ground. Less good, they say. You won't kill her. It's not in you to kill a person. You haven't changed, Ricky. Still a rebel. And you haven't changed much either, Daniel. Not counting how old and slow you've gotten. Ricky unties Daniel and leads us to the other side of the rocky outcrop, where we find the others, bound and tied like Daniel was, except with gags in their mouths as well. Cass has already undone the bindings around her ankles, managed to get one of her boots off, and is trying to undo Lena's bindings with her toes. When she sees us coming, she stops and lies back in the grass, looking straight up at the bright blue sky with hellfire in her eyes. Ricky undoes her bindings last, and when she finally pulls the gag out, Cass cusses at them for a good half hour before her throat gets too parched and she has to get a drink of water. 
As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Wander with us into a world of magic. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with and reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. We'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. We sit in Ricky's den. It's not the feral dwelling I'd expected, but more like a cabin with walls and floors of rock instead of wood. Ricky starts a fire in a pit carved out in the center of a single large room. There is only one chair, an old, sturdy rocker, with a small table set beside it, piled with books and a chipped porcelain teacup on a saucer. An ancient hound dog snoozes on a rug at the far end of the cave, where it's coolest, completely unaware of our presence. A mattress piled high with rugs made from animal fur sits on a wooden platform, leaking straw on the ground. A somewhat crooked shelf stands against one wall, holding plates, bowls, cups, and jars of pickles and preserves. The den smells of chamomile and herbs. Ricky fills a cast iron pot with water from a barrel and swings it over the fire. In all my years living here, I've never had to entertain guests. I've fought off plenty of gunslingers and poachers and bounty hunters, but I've never made any of them tea. So no complaining if you don't like how I make it. When Ricky swivels the pot of boiling water off the fire and pours it into the cup sprinkled with tea leaves, the hound dog at the back of the den raises its snout, sniffs the air, and lies back down with a sound somewhere between a bark and a wheeze. By then we've told them all about Watertown and why we need their help. And it's this youngin who's supposedly going to save the day when we all ride into Watertown to face down a whole army of gunslingers? They say, pointing at me with their cup of tea. It'll be all of us together, like the old days, says Cass. As far as I remember, the old days didn't go too well for the likes of us. So it seems to me that you're expecting this kid to make all the difference, being that she's the big difference between then and now, 
putting aside the fact that we've all gotten old and useless. It won't be down to her, but she is an exceptional bullet catcher. What I saw outside was just enough to get her, that child, and the rest of us killed if we even attempted the amateur theatrics you intend. I'm rusty, is all, I say. Kid, you're more than rusty. You're scared. When it comes to the day, she won't be, Cass intervenes. We just need to know if you're in or out. Ricky stares straight into my eyes. I don't know what they're looking for, but they must not have found it because then they shake their head and say, Nope, I'm out. Y'all can stay the night, rest up, refill your canteens. But I ain't traipsing off halfway across the desert to get myself killed for no reason other than the principle of the thing. I lie on the cold stone floor. Moonlight drifts in through the open entrance, mingling with the sounds of snoring. The creature stirs, looking up at me with huge, dark, questioning eyes. I sigh, lift it up on my shoulder, and carry it outside into the bright moonlight. We sit on the natural stone steps leading up to the cave, listening to the waves and watching the stars rotate across the black dome above. You should leave. Ricky's voice interrupts the near silence. They come and sit down beside me. There's time before morning. You'd get enough of a head start that none of these geezers could ever catch you. Not if you never wanted to be found, at least. I tried that already. Thought I'd made it far enough. I guess I was wrong. Don't figure I'll do it again. Even if it meant the child's life? I stare down at the creature, who looks up at me, oblivious. I won't let anything happen to it. Right. You'll die protecting the child. But you not being around to see what happens to it after you die don't mean it won't happen. I told you I won't let it happen. Then show me. We stand in the field, the creature strapped to my chest. Ricky stands a ways away, a canvas sack of stones in their hand instead of a gun. Said they made a vow never to wield one, and they've never gone back on it. Said they didn't need one anyway to prove their point. All they needed were the rocks. Ricky moves first, darting first to their left, then fainting right before charging straight at me, a stone clutched in their hand, reared back ready to throw. I break the opposite direction, one hand resting on the creature's head, making sure it's all right, the other skimming the loamy ground for balance. We rotate around each other, looking for an opening. And then Ricky disappears, their head dipping below the line of grass. I stop, listen. Everything is quiet, only the waves far off, the creature's gentle breathing. And then comes a rustle of grass to my left. I pivot on a heel to find Ricky, their arm extended in my direction, the stone already on its trajectory toward me. I bring up my hands, catch it easily, and fling it back at them. It catches them right in the stomach. If it was a bullet, they'd be on the ground already, dead or dying. But I have only a moment of triumph, because then comes a soft feeling of one of Ricky's stones, bouncing harmlessly off the creature's wrappings. It struggles against the wrappings and begins to wail. Your child is dead, Ricky says, walking over. And you are too, most likely. Or, at least, wishing you were. So are you. Does that make up for it? I'm a gunslinger. If you kill me, 
There are a hundred more just like me, ready to take my place. How many children do you have? This is stupid. They're only rocks. I've pulled the creature out of its wrap, gently bouncing it up and down in my arms. It begins to calm. You know I'm right. Even if I do, what am I supposed to do about it? And don't say run, because I won't. Not again. Not ever. Good. I thought you'd never ask. The wind blows. Ricky reaches out and touches the bent blades of tall grass, growing up to their waist. Cass tells me that Lobo was your teacher. He was a good man, a good bullet catcher. But he never did understand the single most fundamental thing about bullet catching. None of them do. What? Ricky looks up at me, their eyes wet, reflecting the light of the moon. Bullet catching is not about killing. It's about protecting. Its power comes from non-violence, not from reflecting violence. When you learn to protect that child from those who would do it harm, without harming those people in return, you will truly understand the nature of bullet catching, and you will be invincible, and so will everyone who stands behind you. Ricky stares at the moon, falling down to meet the mountains in the distance. Get some rest. You have a long ride ahead of you. Teach me. If you have all this knowledge and wisdom, show me how to do what you're saying. They shake their head. It took me half a lifetime to learn what I've told you tonight, and just as long unlearning everything I thought I knew up till then. I cannot teach you anything in a matter of days. I would invite you to stay and learn, but I know you won't. You have some far-off field you plan to die on. You won't want to be late. You're listening to Bullet Catcher Season 3 by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Bullet Catcher is written by Joaquin Lowe, produced by Marco Palmieri, and executive produced by Molly Barton. Performed by Inez del Castillo. Audio produced, directed, and designed by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme composed by Hashem Asadolahi, with performances by Justin Morell and Josh Deutsch. Cover art by Christine Barcelona.